ask yourself one question. Do I feel like what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Welcome to Pan and Scan Podcast. Hello, hello, everybody. Hey, hello. How is everyone out there? Everybody having fun? I, I'm well. I, I appear to be having fun thus far. You look good. Welcome to the Panas Gun Podcast. Welcome, welcome all. Episode two. Indeed, uh, episode two, Ben. Yes. Of this uh, monumental show. That's right. It's a big one. <laughs> it is <laughs> double digits. It's it's the big one. <laughs> We have a lot to talk about tonight. We do, and why do we have a lot to talk about then? More than usual. Yeah, well, yeah, we've got. We're going to have a look at the things we've been watching in the past couple of weeks, but also we spoke about this in the last episode and in the pilot as well. We're really big fans of Hugo, and we're going to look around Hugo and the Milliers. Yeah, Georges Millier. And um, so we're going to have quite a big focus on that, I think, tonight. Yeah, this is a, a possibly our first topic episode. That's right. We've had a couple of general chit chat ones. And now we're into the topics. So we're welcome. We're sick of general chit chat. <laughs> but don't panic, listeners. This isn't going to be just one big, uh, you know, lesson into the siren era of filmmaking. Good. It's well, you know, <laughs> there is some. There's going to be some level of intelligent uh, talk. I hope okay. at some point during this podcast. But you know, this is just um, this is a film history greats episode, and um, we hope you enjoy it. I think. Yeah, let's kick it off. <laughs> well, what, 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 Sorry, after oh, you, John. Well. I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to talk over you. No, we're, we're going to stick to our, our same format, aren't we? Yeah, we're, we going are, to, yeah. we're going to chit-chat about what we've uh, seen at the cinemas first. So, yeah. Well, I haven't seen anything at the cinema, but that's because I'm waiting to go to the cinema. Um, You're waiting? Yeah, there's a couple of really good films coming up that I'm, I'm really excited about. Um, <clears> I don't know if I've mentioned Prometheus yet. Oh, have we mentioned Prometheus on the I, show? I'm pretty sure we haven't yet. We've mentioned it more more times than there are shows. <laughs> That's the thing. But you know, we're excited. I'm I'm yeah. just as excited. I just try and keep it under, but you know, quieter. So. And then there's the Avengers as well. Yes, indeed. Which uh, I know that I'm I'm quite excited about now. To be honest, I wasn't that excited about um, about five six weeks ago. I was going to say you you were given the impression to me that you, yeah, yeah that, that it's it's the superhero. But it's it's a fair comment that the superhero sort of films are, are sort of beginning to maybe wear thin. You know? But that's it. I was kind of getting a bit sick of them to be honest. I thought I'd had enough of them. I'd not watched any in quite a while, and um, I, th- I quite like the Iron Man films. I enjoyed Iron Man, and Iron, and Iron Man Two was not yeah. as good, but, yeah. but I, I enjoyed Iron Man, and it was just seeing what was coming coming next, and I think. Because everybody knew the Avengers were coming out. Right. And I thought we were just trying to shoehorn some films in there so the Avengers could be made. So I kind of well, thought, oh, I can't really be bothered with it. But I've got around to catching up with Captain America and Thor. Took your time. I know. I'm well, I'm well behind. <laughs> so I thought, seeing as everybody's talking about Avengers, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in with it. I'm going to go in with my eyes open, decide that I'm going to... Let, let me find out a bit more about this. Yeah. Let's be impartial. Let's let's watch the films and... To be honest, I found them quite fun. Like Thor was quite quite a fun film. It was. It was I enjoyed it, Thor. It didn't take itself too seriously, which I quite liked. Um, I like the actor. Um, what's his name? He played um, Captain Kirk's dad in the new Star Trek. Oh, Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. I like him. I think he's got some uh, interesting things to come. Well, that's it. There's, so. some, there's something definitely about him. Like I say, he was Captain Kirk's dad. Um, 
<laughs> his most famous role. Yeah, for the for, for whole like what was it about five, six, seven minutes in in Star Trek? But a good, but a brilliant. was a really good five, six, seven or eight minutes. One of the best bits in that film is the. Oh well, yeah, that's it. So um, so yeah, I was quite I was interested in what he was going to do with it, and I did like him, and I I think he did quite well in that. I know he's mm. good, and yeah, he, he he definitely pulled off being being thought. So, <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, so, you don't expect it because obviously anybody out there who's a comic fan or a Marvel fan knows that Thor is this giant. Uh, what is he? He's a god. Isn't a Norse he? god. Norse yeah. god. That's what he is. Norse god. Yeah. And um, but he, yeah, like you say, he pulled the role off quite quite well actually. Yeah, because uh, to be honest, I don't know. I know the basics around what his character is, and and he came across as being a bit of a knob at the start, which is <laughs> like, a, oh, I'm going to run off and I'm going to kill everybody because it's cool, and I'm I'm some kind of badass, and I'm going to be yeah. this almighty god king person. Overly confident is the word. Yeah, but as as with all superheroes and gods, um, they, they, and gods, they go through they uh, what what some trials that make them become the best they can possibly be and his ends up in being on earth banished yeah it's it's a redemption story it's uh, they always the age old tale of, of the strong man being beaten down and becoming weak and then having to rebuild himself yeah. and uh, seeing the light at the end which is That's nice it. And there were a couple of strange things about this one because I, I didn't really know too much about it um i knew that uh, natalie portman was in it which i thought was a strange role now, for her i didn't know natalie portman was in it when no. i went to see the film i no. like i say i always i like to try and remain as I like to go in as blind as I can yeah. with with any film, really. Um, obviously, with things like the internet, it's getting... Well, it's, it's impossible. Yeah. Viral marketing and all that. Is... It's absolutely impossible these days. I mean, back in the old school days, you know, they, they you had a poster yeah. to tell you everything about the film, and that was it. I mean, trailers weren't even that rife, being not right till the late 80s, I think. Well, that's it. You think about it when <coughs> a film would debut at night, maybe 10 in the charts... And then through word of mouth, and yeah. it would build its way up. Whereas now, a film where has so much advertising and viral marketing and social marketing and, so, and social networking behind it, it debuts at number one. And if it doesn't debut at number one, it's never worth going to see. Well, it's that, always, that's, that's that's the way that it comes across. Yeah, and it's always in it's always in with the uh, the the trailer now. It's such it's this big market. It's such a market, a strong marketing tool these days. Yeah. I mean. Films can live or die on a trailer alone, well, and that it. is why they they release so many trailers. I mean, how many how many trailers are there now for Prometheus? Um, about six or seven. There's six, trailers. There is literally six or seven different trailers for that film, that That's one right. movie, and it, it's, it's almost a danger because you think they're telling the entire story in this one. We've seen the film essentially, yeah. Which yeah. is why I I've, I've seen the one trailer that we watched. I think it was on last week's show. Yeah. But other than that, I've not even even attempted to look at the other trailers just in case that I've, I'm, I'm seeing too much and I'm yeah. spoiling myself. So. Well, that's it. It, it. it really will. There's so much in the trailers. You could you can piece it out as you want to go. Obviously, there's going to be things that you're not going to get, but you, you're going to go in expecting the, certain things to happen at certain times. So definitely. It's a bit of a dodgy one, but uh, yeah. So what were we talking Port about? <laughs> <laughs> so I say with Thor, Natalie Portman was oh, in that, yeah. and um, I thought it was quite a strange place for her to go, especially from like um, coming off the back of Black Swan. Mm. Um, she was in V for Vendetta, she was in Star Wars. It's not seen that film. V for Vendetta, I've not seen. You not see V? No. Any good? Yeah, you're really missing out. If you oh, am I really? Really missing have out. Have you got it here? Or? I have. Oh, I have. Well, there we go. Yeah, I've got it on DVD. Brilliant. See how these things come together, listeners? Wax great together. We'll, we'll have to watch that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she's really good in she's she, she's really good in those films, and I thought she was a bit. She didn't do a huge amount in this film. No, the she character. Was, she, was, 
she was well on it. And apparently the only reason she signed up for it was because Kenneth Branagh was directing it. And I didn't realise until I was watching it that it was Kenneth Branagh who directed it. And right, right. Why is Kenneth Branagh directing a Thor film? Because well, he's a he's a thespian. He's, he is. He's a, he's, he's a Shakespearean well, actor. I mean, the, the 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 character of Thor lends itself to that kind of age old, especially with the archaic language and things yeah. like. It was it's kind of an odd film to sell as well because you've got this film about a Norse god falling to earth. There's 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 things about religion in there. There's this weird. I mean, Thor is, is famed for having this archaic language as yeah. he as he battles the. Intergalactic space, yeah, exactly <laughs> that kind of thing. So that can put people off. So the, I think the director did well to sort of make a almost just make a, a decent comic book movie from yeah. that character because he's a hard, really hard character. The only other one I can even acquaint him to is like the Submariner. Yeah. Uh, if anybody out there knows who the Submariner, he's a he's a man in skin tight little green shorts with wings on his feet. Make that into a Hollywood movie. I mean, it's just like I really want to go see that guy swim in the water. Commanding fish. Um, apparently, I say Natalie Portman only went for it because Kenneth Branagh was doing it because it's, she thought it would be a bit of a strange and why, why would you turn that kind of thing down? So yeah. that's what she went for. But um, apparently, um, Sam Raimi was going to direct it in the mid nineties. Now that would have been interesting. So yeah, he was attached to it at one point in the nineties, but obviously went on and did uh, Spider Man, and uh, obviously other films were. But genre wise, his Spider Man was I suppose his comic book type film. Can I just find out one thing while we're, while we're here on Sam Raimi? He's been, uh, I think, I don't know if you've heard about this, but he's been uh, greenlighted to produce the remake of Poltergeist. Oh, really? Yes. So that's going to be something to keep your eye out for. Oh, yeah. That's that's coming up in the pipeline. But Poltergeist, you know, from Steven Spielberg produced, yeah. and I say produced in quotation marks, produced, directed, yeah. the original Poltergeist, Sam Raimi's going to be producing the remake. No way. Well, it'd be interesting to see what's happening, because I, I think we spoke about it in the last episode with... I, I'm I'm always a bit dubious when it comes to horror films anyway, but you get most of them are directed by people who have never directed before, or mm. when they come in and do a remake. I think it's I suppose it's good. They they assume it's good testing ground because oh. th there's already a film there and they've just got to make it with new people. That's all right. That's pretty yeah. much it. But um, it'd be interesting to see what Raimi does with that. Mm. And um, otherwise, the other person was Matthew Vaughan who did. Um, uh, kick ass and oh, yes, yeah. X Men uh, First Class. Um, instead of he was going to do it in mid mid two thousands, but then he went on to do those instead. So, hmm. so yeah, so well, I'm, I'm happy with the film, but you know that might have been a, another good choice. Well, yeah, it's it's, it's, been, it's it's interesting to see that the people who were attached to it and interested in it still went on to do comic book films. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was, but it was a good film. I, 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 I enjoyed I, it. I thought, yeah. I thought it was fun, and I, and I suppose it had the first. Um, we saw Hawkeye in there. He's going to be. He's one of the Avengers. Yeah. Um, for a very short amount of time in that, because I suppose he's not getting his own film. So he's no. <laughs> it's, a, it's a man with it with a bow and arrow at oh, the yeah. end of the day. I mean, what more are you going to do with him? I'm not. I don't want to trash talk Hawkeye, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you also caught uh, Captain America. Yeah, I did, and I was I liked Thor for being a kind of fun kind of film, and I and I liked Captain America because um, to be honest. I really like Hugo Weaving. Okay. <laughs> I, I like him. I like him in anything. He's always he's, he pulls off that like uh, Agent Smith kind of guy. Yeah. Really, really well as um, Red Skull, mm. and um, I quite liked it. Uh, I found some of it a bit jarring because 
knowing what um because chris, Ev chris evans um is uh, captain he's a america radio producer he? <laughs> he is a ginger guy with glasses anybody um, outside of britain won't know what we're talking about <laughs> carry that. on yeah because he's in in the main role and he's already right. been a superhero he was um, yes, in he's, fantastic four he's the human torch yeah that's right so another marvel character which is odd yeah because it's odd choice yeah i thought it was especially when there are so many chances of crossovers especially now with marvel being looking at directing more for have uh, producing more of their own films and comic right. films you never know who's going to cross over with who at any point so i think mickey mouse is going to appear in the next <laughs> door film maybe so <laughs> but uh, yeah I, I, I quite i liked it and i thought it was because I knew, because you know what Chris Evans actually looks like, with he's, he's, he's not this short, tiny, skinny guy. No. Sometimes it was a, it wasn't too Benjamin Button esque. It didn't work out quite as well. Right. You could right. see that he was a, a bigger head on a small body. I found that a bit strange at parts, but I, I liked. I liked it did, I but to me, that didn't pull me out of the movie when I watched it. No, you know? uh, but I, I, I liked. I, I was quite impressed with the way they did it. It was it was good. It didn't look too stupid. Um, and it's got quite a few, oh, Tommy Lee Jones is in it as well. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, I love yeah. him as the sort of Colonel Commander well, guy. No, yeah. yeah, quite a few good people, and plus then you get the the, the tie-ins ready for the Avengers as well, because you got um, uh, Tony Stark's dad, um, Harold Stark. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and so you've got the crossovers of you got you know where it's going to go and why everybody runs into each other, and I think they've got the. Um, the Expo, which is in Iron Man 2, which is... Yes, it's a linking there. Yeah. Really well done. I mean, like I say, in terms of... We'll go back to the Avengers for a second. I don't think there's ever been a sort of... A movie tie-in. You know, so many movies to set up one movie. I bet yeah. The only thing I can even equate it to is... Um, is I, I can't remember. I think it's Friday the 13th, part 8, where at the end, uh, Jason is dragged... Jason gets dragged to hell... And he gets pulled into the ground, and then at the, right at the end, just before the credits come in, Freddy's hand bursts out of the ground and yeah. grabs, um, I think he grabs Jason's mask and pulls it down to hell, and you hear a laugh. And, and that's, that's obviously to set up a Freddy versus Jason, but yeah, other than that, I mean, when's it ever there, there aren't many crossover films. Um, you've got you know, your Alien versus Predator films, and uh, they didn't go too well. <laughs> we really but we'll we'll save that for our alien retrospective that's coming up soon. Well, that's yes. it. With uh, with not that again. We're, we're, I'll, I'll promise. I'll, I'll I need to write this down. I need to have how many times I can say Prometheus before the adventure, <laughs> and I keep crossing them off. Yes. Um, but uh, with with Prometheus coming out on the first of June over here, we're going to go and watch that. Obviously, but before that, we're going to get in and have a show about Alien, about where it came from, what we yeah. were like about it, where it is. And, and we're thinking it's going to span over a couple of episodes, aren't we? So I think so. I it's think there's, be... a lot, there's a lot to talk about. Oh, um, definitely, yeah. So, so I think that's going to be another theme theme show. Indeed. So Captain America was alike as well then? Yeah, I, did, I liked that. <laughs> I thought it was, because it was so different to Thor, um, I think I liked them when you couldn't really compare them, apart from they've both got two superheroes in them, you couldn't really com compare them like for like. Right. Um, it'd be interesting to see how they do Captain America in the in the in, in the modern day, but I quite liked him in the in the World War Two setting and yeah, I liked what it he was as well. doing. And um, quite, I quite liked the setup of when he was Captain America, just going around selling war bonds and things like that. Cause it's, yeah, um, that's and, that was interesting to say. Yeah, actually. It, it reminded me because I've, I've seen uh, Flags of Our Fathers, and that was. That had that similar thing where they just because they they had the picture of them putting the flag up, they were then sent home and they were the the heroes and they spent, child, the rest, yeah. Yeah, spent the rest <clears> of the war going and getting these war bonds so you could tie them together and seeing this is what 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 America does when they're trying to fund the war. So 
Sounds good. So he's good with that. So yeah, I did. I did really enjoy it. I thought it was good, and mm. I think it's going to set it up for for Avengers. Whereas now I've seen these two films, I'm getting excited for Avengers now. So mm. I'll definitely be going to see that. So I was always worried that obviously combining all these great characters together, you know, you've got your Iron Man, your Hulk, uh, uh, Thor, and uh, Captain America. That even though they're really great in their individual films, if you put them all together, obviously you mean you're going to be losing some of the. Uh, the characterization and the and the sort of the story and you know you fall in love with the characters in the first initial movies yeah. like I loved Iron Man I loved the Hulk uh, yes the first Hulk I actually enjoyed no, that I, movie I, I, <laughs> I love the Ang Lee Hulk I didn't like the Ed Norton Hulk I'm not a big fan of Ed Norton to be honest but I didn't like the Ed Norton Hulk but I really liked the Ang Lee directed Hulk mm. the first one and I don't really understand why why nobody really got it I think it was just it posted as a it's going to be the Hulk it's going to be action it's going to be mad crazy smashing things blowing up explosion explosion and then it just turns out to be like a, almost like a psychological yeah. uh, drama about the, the you know the, the banner character which yeah. is more true to the if anybody knows about the whole comic book it's more true to the comic book yeah it's not all smash smash broke explosion explosion although there is a lot of that yeah. i think there maybe could have been more of that in the ang lee film that would have been nice but i enjoyed it yeah well that's it it's going to be seen how they fit that because hulk is going to be the biggest change in avengers because Iron Man is the, the Iron Man from the most two recent films. Um, Captain America is the Captain America from the film, for the most recent film. Uh, same as Thor, same as Hawkeye, right. same right. as um, Black Widow. So so all of them are very recent, and most people will have seen them, whereas the two Hulk films are going to lead into a different person playing Bruce Banner and the Hulk. Well, it's so. literally been three films of the Hulk and three different characters yeah. playing Bruce Banner. So, so, uh, interesting. so it, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what Josh Whedon does with it. So, do, you think yeah. do you think they'll ever make a, a Fantastic Four Captain America, you know, crossover film? That's going to be awkward, isn't it? It would be. Yeah. Well, how are they going to do it? How would you do that? Well, you'd just flame on, wouldn't you? And you'd be flamed. All so. the time. Every time. All the time. You'd have to be. You'd have to be. Every what time Captain America's there. <laughs> but I tell you what, the, the thing was, I was always excited about watching the uh, Avengers Assemble. We're really carrying on with Avengers. Um, but... Uh, the one, but I, I saw the the original trailer and I, you know, I thought, oh yeah, cool, cool, you know, that looks 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 good. I'm looking forward to it. But then the the latest trailer is the one that ripped me back into being excited about Avengers. Yeah. Just after seeing Iron Man falling through the sky and being caught by the Hulk in hand, yeah. and then the Hulk sliding with his arms buried inside of a yeah. building, just sliding down this skyscraper. I was like, yes, that's going to be fantastic. I cannot wait to see this film. Yeah, and, so, I, uh, and it's, it's the last scene of the, of the trailer where Loki comes back and, and um, Iron Man flies around the, um, the side of that building, and there's that huge metal ship, thing. fish, whatever it's supposed to be. Fish. <laughs> and it flies down, like, and it sort of smashes like part of the building as it comes around. I'm thinking... Now that looks huge. What are these guys going to do against that? <laughs> right. So, um, is that what you've been watching then? So yeah, that's uh, so that that's what I've been watching, and that's what I'm looking forward to watch all in one go. Okay. Well, I actually did go to the cinema. Um, I'll make this quick. I went to see Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists. The Ardman. <laughs> yes, the Ardman. Yeah. The Ardman film. It's yeah, uh, brilliant. It was so much fun. I really want. That, that's one I really want to see. Yeah, really looking forward to that. I mean, if you ever, if you ever thought in your life you'd never see a film with, uh, you know, uh, Charles Darwin and a, uh, <laughs> you know, on board a ship with some pirates, one of them being an albino pirate. Really? Yeah, he's called the albino pirate. Oh right. Yeah. <laughs> just in case you weren't sure. Oh, this film is just full of characters, and it's just so much fun. It's 
It's great to see Aardman. I mean, I remember Christmas time and every every other Christmas waiting to see uh, Wallace and Gromit come on yeah. on, B on the BBC. And it, it, to me, it's just a part of Christmas. It's a part of being British. It's just one of those things, you know, cracking tea, Gromit. That's that's what I'm about. I love, I've always loved the Aardman mythos and style. So I couldn't wait to see this movie. I was actually more excited to see this film than, you know, the Avengers at the time. Yeah. And uh, I just had such a, bloody great laugh with this film it, it's you know it's a kid film but it's full of, of you know adult humor and jokes and stuff you know you'll see a female pirate with lodge lodge bosoms which is, so you'll be happy then yeah you'll see uh you'll see a man that's made completely of um severed limbs and he's he's just got the pegs of appendages and he's called i think it's called peg leg pirate or something Beautiful. like that. there's another pirate who's clearly a female pirate with a clearly massive fake bushy beard and nobody notices nice. they have a uh the the main pirate the captain pirate who's called captain pirate <laughs> has a has a, a parrot but it's actually a dodo and uh which is why charles darwin gets involved and right. queen victoria she's a psycho killer which is always good to see um there's some kung fu in there so it's, it's just all true to life very realistic uh lenny, <laughs> let's put it this way that there's a, a, Lenny Henry plays a pirate in this film, and a big black bombastic pirate, you know, from Jamaica, and he sails into port inside of a whale, <laughs> inside of a giant whale, and crashes into the pub and announces that he's arrived. And uh, the whole story revolves around these pirates wanting to be, uh, become like um, I think it's like top pirate. There's like a top pirate award in amongst the pirates. And that's the film. It's completely silly. It's ridiculous. But there's some great characters. Yeah. And it's, it's just a fun ride, man. I just, I just ate this film. Well, I loved it to bits. Well, look, I do love Aardman. And I think, like you say, it was always waiting for Christmas, waiting for Wallace and Gromit, what they're going to be doing next, laughing at the adverts and, and yeah. all that stuff. So, so you know they're always good. But I think even like um, Flushed Away was pretty good. That had some fun. Yeah. That had some... Uh, adult humour in it whilst it's still being a kids film but I think that's what they do really well it's, it's the animation's good and the writing is really good as well they're, oh yeah they're not they're not just looking for cheap laughs they're not just looking for aiming at a one particular audience it's they're, they're aiming they're, it, it's supposed to look like it's a kids film but it's got lots of things that definitely go, definitely go over kids heads and, yeah and just so that the adults have got something so everybody can enjoy it and that's why they work so well that's why yeah they definitely work so well. I mean this film is these these are Ardman films are always full of, of great British satire mm. and, and surrealist sort of humour that uh, anybody from well anybody can enjoy really yeah but the thing is it, it it almost annoys me because obviously you've got DreamWorks, you've got Pixar, and they're obviously the big powerhouses in animation at the minute, and obviously you've got Disney, but nobody ever really talks about Aardman, and yeah. they, like you say, they produce some brilliant movies, and they've, they've grown over the years, the studio's grown and grown, and now they're making these big feature films that are getting into the cinemas, like Flush to the Way, I think, was, yeah. and now this Pirates film is, and I'm really happy to see that, you know, I really have a sense of pride when I see Aardman on the big screen so I'll, I'll go see this film any day I recommend it for kids and for adults definitely it's you know I went to see it with my, my partner and, you yeah. know we're, we're not children anymore <laughs> but I enjoyed that film just a quick one because obviously we've ranted about Avengers Avengers for a bit so it's a bit, yes yeah so um, I'll definitely go and see that I definitely like I love the sound of that it sounds like it's going to be a really good fun yeah I think so right then are we ready to get down and dirty with Georges Millier? Let's delve into Georges Millier. And our first movie history greats episode. That's right. Hey. 
Okay, so um, here we go, kids. This is the actual... The lesson starts now, so if you'd like to just sit back, be quiet, you know, and listen. Remember, there will be a test at the end. <laughs> there will be a test at the end. Um, obviously, the history of film spans over 100 years, Ben. I hope you know that. From the latter part of the 19th century to the present, motion pictures developed gradually from a carnal novelty to one of the most important tools of communication and entertainment and mass media in the 20th century and now into the 21st century. Most films before 1930 were silent. Motion picture films have subsequently affected the arts, technology and politics worldwide. That's my little intro there then. I like it. Did you cool. like that? Yeah. Really nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, the silent era of film is... I, I personally, I mean, the, the consensus is these days you can't enjoy a silent film. A black and white silent film that's not even shot in, you know, frame rate that we're used to, 25 yeah. frames per second. Um, some, some silent era films were shot in 12 frames per second, if you can imagine that. Yeah. And hand-cranked, of course. Yeah. I mean, the first cameras were just basically large boxes that weighed a tonne. With a lens at the front and a, a hand crank that somebody literally had to crank for the entirety of the film, for whatever films. Which is why the first films were really short. I mean, they were only like 12, you know, anywhere from 15 to 45 seconds long. Yeah. But if you think about a man literally physically having to crank this camera uh, for that long. I think, and, and that's so different to, to today's um, cameraman, because uh, whilst, whilst filming it or whatever, but he's... It's 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 feeding it at the correct uh, frame rate. Whereas how uh, right. how do you know to to get the right frame rate? Because if you go a little bit too fast, if you've had a bit, if you've had a coffee in the morning, <laughs> yeah. everybody's going to be fast forward because you're you're cycling through the frames. But like I say the next point, if you're going a bit too slow, so so to be able to you save on right film. Speed. I mean, the the less frames you use, the more film you've got. Maybe you can make you know with a certain uh, certain one reel of film, you could maybe make multiple movies as yeah. opposed to just one film on one reel so it was especially because the the, the you've got to remember that movies and the movie base was made uh, for a, che a cheaper way for people to get entertained because before then it was just stage shows yeah. and you had to travel miles i mean there weren't stage shows on every corner and people didn't have the money to go and see these things i mean not let alone to travel there yeah um so it was just a cheap way for people to get there so uh you know you you you'd buy a real film and you'd want to get as much for you. I mean, because it was the Depression in those days as well. So, I mean, we're talking, I think that the first, what's quoted as the first real movies that were being produced, you're talking 1895. Yeah. So you're talking for the 19th century, right there. So it's, it's, if that's it, it's, it's early and it's how, not everybody had a chance to do this. And the people who were making these films um, are, are big names now and, I say we talk about milliers. We talk about um, Lumiere, who was the um, who created the, the the camera, the lights, the um, the, the yeah, way he projected it. So these big names, and you think that they all they, all these people work together um, to create things that we we take for granted now, and they're the big names, and you can never really imagine that they all work together. But they were pioneers. They're, oh yeah, definitely. Brought it about. They invented. I mean, just the, the the first films were usually just a camera sat down at a location and filmed the location. You'd, yeah. They'd film some trees, or they'd film a train pulling into the station, mm. or they'd film people walking around, and that was a movie. Yeah. And that would have been about fifty seconds long, and you'd have gone and you'd paid like you know a shilling or I don't yeah. know whatever, and you'd have seen that, and that would have been the most amazing thing. We're talking about a time when people would have looked at you know, 
have believed their eyes to see a moving image on a screen. Yeah. It would have blown their minds. And then from that, you go to sort of things where you have, uh, I think one of the first, or the first jump scare is credited in the early, um, I think 1897, something like that, I'm just mm. guessing. Um, a, a train is filmed coming towards the screen. Yeah. And this is actually linked in Hugo, which we're going to get to. Yeah, it is, yeah. You know, a train coming at the camera. And, and people used to leap back away from the screen because they literally thought a train was coming at them and they couldn't believe it. It's, it's credited as the first ever jump scare, Ben. And it's also credited as the first movie monster. Oh, really? Ever in history, which is kind of, I don't know, maybe a bit of a stretch. I think the film's called, I, I cannot say this, is, it's a French, it's, there was a lot of German pioneers and French pioneers in terms yeah. of uh, the movie business. That's where it all started. So it's all French and German. I will try and butcher this name. Le Arrival de un train anglais de la guette. That's, that was the first um, jump scare train yeah. footage thing. It uh, lasted for 50 seconds and was made in, oh, it was close, 1896. Perfect. So there you go. And from then on, you have people trying a little bit harder to maybe actually construct narrative mm. with film. So, like we said, that it was invented to get people some entertainment who couldn't manage to get to sort of stage shows and things. So what they would literally do is film stage shows. Yeah. So this is how movies were born, literally filming theatre performances and then just projecting it for people, you know, three minutes at a time and you yeah. change a massive reel for another three minutes and it's all done by hand as well yeah. and obviously there was no sound back in those days so it was just live uh, performances or we'd have people to sort of dictate what was happening or do the dialogue like literal actors in front of the stage so you've got <laughs> you've got an orchestra you've got actors doing the dialogue and then you've got um a play being projected when you could just do a play yeah that's what always makes me laugh you know it's sort of the hard the, the hardest way possible to to entertain people but it's great as well because mm. it's the foundations it's the basic building blocks of making movies and so hard i can't imagine it hand cranking a camera yeah. live performances syncing with actors dialogue if you just stood there watching a movie i mean do you think you could do that just have a script and then sync with the person well, no, that's it. it must have been impossible yeah you think about what people do now and you think about how people did love the cinema at the time how much people must have loved to have been doing that at that point is is very different to how things work nowadays and when we've got the um, the movie making machines, you've got Hollywood that would crank out um, film after film after film. Yeah. People just wanting to be on film, but for the wrong kind of reasons, where you've got people who, when they first could make a film, were making films because they loved to create films for people and for people to come and see. And it was all about telling the story in a different media. And, and you think we talk about millions and how many films he actually created in his time, whether it be. Hundreds, yeah. If that's whether it be a minute long, three minutes long, ten minutes long, whatever they were, yeah. he, he, he made hundreds and hundreds of films because he 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 wanted to create and he loved to tell stories and um, it was all very pantomime the way the, the kind of things that he did. But, oh, yeah. And, and then, but that was the way it was meant to be. And um, I was I was reading a couple of things earlier about what you say about when the first films came, the first films, and um, it's most famous for um, a trip to the moon, um, Impossible Voyage. Um, all based around Jules Verne kind of stuff, um, but also he was. Um, we were talking about him, like the first jump scare. Um, mm. Apparently, he was um, he's credited as the pioneer of horror cinema as well, which I didn't realise. Yeah. Horror, um, because um, it was something called the he, he did a film called The Haunted Castle. I think it was La Mano de Diablo, 
Oh, nice. Um, well done, yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Although I could be butchering that as well. Um, but apparently that was three minutes long. Um, it was meant to be a pantomime kind of scare film or whatever, but it was actually came across apparently as very, very scary. Um, oh, back in those days, yeah. yeah and that was the first vampire film. So, um, so Millie, as much as all the other things that he's done, apparently it was, one way or another, the first, it created the first horror film. Yeah, I mean, he created... He was one of the first... Uh, filmmakers to actually structure and edit movies for a narrative pers- purpose, for a fictional na- narrative purpose, to actually push an idea or a narrative across to the people with imagery and cuts in the edit. I mean, he actually invented, but he invented double exposure, yeah. which is obviously you film something, then you wind the the film back, and then you film it again, creating a double exposure, i.e., you film a person. And then they move to the side and you film them again so you've got two people stood next to each other. Yeah. He invented that. He invented the, the jump cut. Yeah. Uh, I mean, com- uh, composite shots, matte shots, matte paintings, uh, perspective. That was never done before. And it's it was literally, I mean, fundamentally just painting a backdrop. Yeah. And, you know, having things move in front of the camera. I mean, and just adding pyrotechnics. Yeah. In-camera special effects, costume. I mean, obviously, his famous film, A Trip to the Moon, everybody knows this film. Everybody knows the iconic image of a moon face with a, you know, shuttle stuck in its yeah. face. Um, incredible. Just, I mean, it, it, it blows my mind that before there was sound, this man was creating basically what were sci-fi epics. Yeah. I mean, he's actually credited as cre- the creator of sci-fi. That's right, because there was nothing like it before. Um, obviously, books and um, Jules Verne was um, the, the the big science fiction writer um, of those kind of times, and um, Millais was the first person to kind of translate that into into a film, whether not not directly, but uh, right. as in a uh, not not a making of of a Jules Verne, but in the same kind of vein. And it's, it, is, it is important that he created that and he brought it to film and the way that he brought it to film. Um, looks like I say he was um, it's the, it's the first, first special effects guy. He did absolutely yep. everything, produced a, produced a film, directed a film, yeah. acted in the films, he, and he created the special effects. Like, like you think about, you said about this, the um, substitution stop trick, um, mm-hmm. which he gave across obviously by mistake. Um, you know, I, the, I always think of that whenever I watch um, Alien and um, you go from Ash, um, going from like they've got the the head on yes, there. Yeah, and, and a particularly <laughs> bad cut in a film. It's, but still. It's, it's a really bad version of it. But uh, that, that's the kind of thing where you see it's 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 one of those where it's it was still in use back in the seventies mm. and um, st- not as much used nowadays. But uh, it's still it was still used and in big films as well. I mean, Milius was when he was making a trip to the moon, and he was creating like you know aliens on other worlds and massive dreamscapes and and all kinds of like weird fantasy sort of you know it'd never been seen before Mm. people have never thought like that before let alone seen it on a moving image people are still getting like i say people are still getting used to seeing trams being pulled along or people walking dogs in parks for you know 50 seconds at a time i mean this must have just blown people's minds i mean you're talking like i think i think a trip to the moon is like 11 minutes long which in 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 that context, is an epic. He was the Peter Jackson of his day, you know. But, you know, more creative than that. I mean, he was doing everything on the fly, which is incredible.
even down to I love that he created the first color films because there was no you couldn't they couldn't film in color so they no. colored their own negatives so they so that there was something there um, hand hand paint hand, hand tinted yeah and every single frame and he said if you think you could never do that in a in a two-hour film, now imagine how many frames that would be. You're talking 24 frames a second. Yeah. So you would never, you could never do it. Whereas at this time, when they were filming, like I think I'd say about 14 frames up to 24, maybe um, at the very height. But um, only through over three minutes to 10 minutes, you could paint it. You could colour them in, and um, yeah, I think we see in Hugo as well. You can see some of the things he can do to to it. Like you can put scratches on the on the yeah, oh, film yeah. as well, yeah. so that you can make. Make things look different. I know they did that with like um, to make lightning and things like that. So yeah, so electricity like we see nowadays. It's, it's kind of like, that. and I love that someone had the vision to do that. And I also love that until very recently, and it's still in some cases, we still use the ideas that oh, yeah. we came up with, yeah. that, and we we can't find anything better apart from CG and computers. No person has come up with something that works better than physically doing something to a, to a piece of film you can you can even you could it's going a bit far i suppose but you could even say just basic uh basic ideas basic narrative i mean if you take millier's trip to the moon and then get the story and compare it to alien it's yeah. the same story you know space travelers land on a, a planet and they encounter aliens that they have to fight in battle yeah. and yet he was the first person to actually put that into film yeah as a concept i, mean, I just find that incredible that's it, and and although these kind of things will have happened in in books and things up until that point, but it's it's translating it into a different media, um, because this was all going off in people's heads when they read your Verne. But um, they, everybody sees things slightly differently. Mm. Whereas now, when we think of um, think of these other worlds, and we think of uh, like um, uh, a trip to the moon and Impossible Voyage, um, they're, they're his views on what it is and now there are a lot of our views on, on how we see space and how yeah, we right. see see those kind of lands like I, well I, we landed on the moon well, that's it and, and, I, <laughs> and I, I always think like like you say about the iconic image of of um the moon with a face with a rocket in the eye and you think mm. um how influential that's been and how that keeps getting updated and we see it more and more like you think about um um smashing pumpkins um yeah the tonight video um even back to well, 10 when was that 10 years ago 15 years ago yeah it was updated and, and done again all based around that and it's and it's never gone away and it's still something that we're talking about over 100 years later as being uh, right. a, a massive step in cinema and something that you can't that to, in some ways hasn't been matched he um i think i, I think i read on on wiki or somewhere like that that he'd there'd recently been a reference to milliers in a future armor episode as well at some point <laughs> I think the, 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 the moon face was yeah. in there at some point. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I've got another thing here from Wikipedia. I've just pulled off about the film cameras that they used. I think this is quite interesting. Yeah. It just says, The first film cameras were fastened directly to the head of their tripod or other support, with only the crudest kind of levelling uh, devices provided. In the manner of... That would be a block of wood, by the way, a straight-line block of wood that they just have, you know, tried to make it sort of levelish. Uh, in the manner of the still camera tripod heads of that period, the earliest film cameras were thus effectively fixed during the shot. There were no such thing in those days as a camera movement. Mm. Moving the camera was unheard of. It was something that could not be done. It was, that's, this, I only say that because you can hold a handycam now yeah. and just walk around. It's not hard, it's easy. It was technologically impossible to do it back in those days. The, the cameras were too big, too yeah. heavy, and it just wouldn't work. And you couldn't hand crank whilst moving. No. Impossible. 
But again, you, you talk about Milliers and it's one of those where he's so ahead of his time that we're seeing a man being shot to the moon in a spaceship and fighting aliens and things, yet they couldn't even move their cameras. Yeah. I don't know, there's just something about that. It's just so romantic and so great. It's just, yeah. it's, I love it. Uh, the earliest, um, yeah. So the first known of these was a film shot by Lumiere cameraman uh, from the back platform of a train travelling to Jerusalem in 1896. And by 1898, there were a number of films shot from moving trains. Although listed under the general heading of panoramas in the sales uh, catalogue of the time, those films uh, shot straight uh, forward from in front of a railway engine were usually specifically referred to as phantom rides. So they basically, they couldn't move cameras, so they just affixed a camera to the front of a train. Right. And that, again, this is another one of these things as, as of a basic film. People would sit in an audience and just see uh, the surrounding area pass Pass, yeah. pass by them as if they were on a train like a first person perspective is basically what yeah. we're talking about here but that was a that was a the film that was the film and it entertained the hell out of people and we for, take, we for take decades for granted now when we when all we've got to do is turn the tv on there'll be an advert for visit egypt visit wherever and then you've got um like cruisers and they show you on the boat and around the boat and we think nothing of it to see a 30 second clip of them showing you all these places that we can go to because we, we see them on adverts. We see them on films. We see them all the time. But at that point, some people would never have seen outside the city they lived in. Oh yeah, definitely. The street they lived in, let alone and have any idea about what was out, what was out there. Yeah. And to, to see a photo of something, um, which again would have been rare, um, would be very completely different to something moving. Um, tracking yourself somewhere, if they're talking about it, it was in Jerusalem, then where somewhere had never been before. The world is seeing, yeah. seeing a completely different world and completely different people, things that some people would never have been exposed to. So it was what it was. It wasn't just um, amazing to have, have a moving picture. Mm. It's where it could take you. And we talk about when we, when we talk about films, we talk about it's a really good ride. It's re we enjoy where it takes us and, right. and being involved in the film. And that was, I suppose, as close as you could get to that because you were completely in there. Like you talk about this camera, like the uh, train coming straight towards you. Right. You were right there and mm. you did feel like it was going to come out at you. And it makes, it does make you wish that there was more like that now. I know we get, I know we're getting there with 3D and it's trying to change. We're trying to get things to pop out, but it's not quite the same because you, 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 as much as you're watching a film, you can be disconnected by that kind of thing. Whereas right. back in the day, you're watching a, a two, a two D black and white image, and you were scared that it was going to come out of you. And yeah. it would be amazing to see to be in that in that kind of place and seeing something for the first time like that. It'd be okay. incredible. And again, a, a, probably a very low frame rate and obviously mm. resolution. I mean, it, yeah. what are we talking about here? It's like a light box. There, yeah. there is no res. There was hardly any resolution. Well, that's it. it's, you know, these. Sorry, go on. I was going to say, it all depends on the film that it's been, been filmed on, and, and film wouldn't have been, it wasn't great at that time. Film is still the best <coughs> thing to 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 um, to make a movie on. Is I think we, we, you see when people try to make a digital film, you, you can't rescan it, you can't make it any bigger than it was, because what resolution you've got is what you've got. But right. the cool thing about film is that it can always be rescanned, and it can be made bigger, and, and, and I like that, that, in that day, they did what they they were always blowing it up. It was never on a small screen TV. You're not watching it on like a little laptop or no. fourteen inch TV. They're watching it on 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 walls and cinemas. And that and imagine that being the first time you saw a moving image was on a wall. 
It's it's not like you just coming down and watching a TV. No, I probably just hung it on a on a dirty bit of cloth. Anything that would That's project it. an image. I mean, yeah, it's um, I you know, people always talk about you know, I'd, I'd love to have been there when Star Wars was released. I'd love to have been there originally when the when the thing was played or when like yeah. I don't know Texas Chainsaw Massacre was first played and just to be with the reactions. Like I always think. Again, going back to Alien, I'd love to be where when Alien was first yeah. released. That would be incredible, a theatre-going experience. But imagine the... I would so love to be back in the, you know, the, 1800s, the late 1800s, the turn of the century as film was being made. Yeah. The excitement. It's like it's like a new creative era, like the 60s and the mm. Enlightenment and stuff. It must have been like such an exciting time for film-goers and film creators. But then just to be a, a person going to see these films. We're so desensitized to it now. Yeah, that's that, what I mean. That's, that's yeah. the way it is. That's, 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 we just don't, you don't get any of that now. I think that I've got my six-month-old daughter, and she can. She, there's a TV on, so she'll see it every now and again, and she'll and she'll know that she'll she'll always be around and knowing there's a television. Oh, she's going to be she's going to be raised in high definition. Of course. <laughs> No, but I mean, she is, because yeah. every, everywhere is high def now. Yeah, that's it, and there's nothing yeah. but screens. There's, there are screens everywhere. You've got massive screens on your mobile phone, on your iPad, on your TV, on your on your Xbox, on your computers. There's screens and ways of watching movie, moving images all the time, hmm. whereas there you had, you had radio if you wanted to listen to the sound, and then you had these amazing new inventions where you were lucky to see them, and when you were, you were so blown away by it, you wouldn't be able to... You, 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 you believed you were there and you believed that something might happen. Yeah. And, and it would, that would be the most exciting time to, to be around for, for cinema. Mm. Well, the, the birth of, you yeah. know, I mean, it must have been a remarkable time. Yeah. For, to see how much changes, like we're, the closest we get to change nowadays in film is, is, is um, does Gollum look any better than he did in the last one? <laughs> in C the re-re-release of that ultra-high def. The CG looks a bit better or the redos parts of it, but back then it was it was all, everything was being done live and on cinema and on, oh, on yeah. screen and everything was filmed, everything. It wasn't just like they, they couldn't keep recutting and going back and try again, try no. again, try again. You did the best of what you got. It's, it was they treat it like a like a play, like someone on mm. stage um, in theatre because if you because it, that was all live and no one got to do over there. But they were real actors at that point. They were people mm. who who would who their, their craft was to to act and to and to be in theatre and to and to learn masses amount of dialogue. Even though we didn't get any dialogue in those films, no. but um, but now you get people. You get four lines of dialogue, and they get them fed to him while they're while they're trying to do it as well. So I'd like to think that there were theatre owners at that time not being too frightened because they thought, well, you know, this this new, you know, the cinematograph or whatever they used to call it, you know, the moving image, you know, it won't ever replace theatres because obviously there'll there'll always be audiences there that want to hear dialogue and yeah. characters and that you can't replace that with any of this newfangled cinematographic mm. technology and then they had to wait until i don't know the 1920s before the talkies came in yeah you know so maybe that was the point you know the idea that was technology i mean it came from it went from theater to the screen yeah and, and it, that was the big one of the biggest transitions in film that's right that's, that's what it was so it brought it into into people's homes it brought it so that it, so masses could see things, but mm. um, but yeah, it, did, it obviously in the end did take away from it. And it, there are it, where people used to go and watch plays; they can watch it at home, or oh, just down the street, or and that's it. So, so yeah, it's it's, it's a, it was an amazing time for cinema, and, and I can't I would love to have been around, been around. To, to see the the changes and and the, the feel the excitement of knowing that 
someone was going to show something right and, and it didn't matter what it was you would go and watch it, it it's not like now where we can pick and choose oh i might not be able to watch that film I might netflix watch that. <laughs> i might wait till it comes out on dvd or i might download it from netflix or love film or whatever you're going to do but you can everything's instant whereas at that point it would be an event to go to mm. a, to watch three minutes of footage i'm always getting bothered by this uh, love film people yeah it's like yes i do but you know i'll wait for digital streaming thank you yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> just to prove the point there um no but the thing was what I, what a thing I, I found really interesting i think it's it's almost a subject for another sort of a history podcast a film history bo- if we do another one um see how this one goes down that um it wasn't considered this big art form back in those days and you know back in the depression and things like that and because there were so many of these films being churned out you know especially when you're only making like a minute long movie they were just burning these films yeah. to, to to melt them down for new chemicals and new stock not always for new movies but I mean when the war effort came they were melted down for I think to make shoes to yeah. make boots for the soldiers so many films are lost in time and we know about them and we know about there's so many of Milieza's films that we we will never ever see again yeah. We I think we have like a, a hundred or so and, and you talking, made thousands. You were talking about that now. In, in America and whenever they, they do have the like, vaults where they keep originals of films because they're of national importance or, or if, they, if they think that it's, it's um, historical significance to, for whatever films. I think, I think even Jurassic Park's in there, Star Wars is in there, right. Aliens in there. All, all big, big films, Gone with the Wind, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's all preserved for, so there is something for someone to watch and, and we can look back at the cultural significance of films and what we're watching. And it's a shame that, that at that point it wasn't, it wasn't seen as, like I say, it wasn't seen as an art form and as no. such. It didn't really matter to anybody. No. So these, and so it obviously it mattered to the people who put all the time and effort into it. And it matters to the later generations that we. And that's it. And now so. we and now we look back and we think, can't believe that we were melting down these. Films. We were so blind. But um, but needs must at that point. <laughs> that's right, I suppose. I yeah, suppose I mean, at the end of the day, what it was all about. What can you say? So. The um. Yeah, the thing is, I I just want people to take away and think, right? You know, these films. If people out there are maybe the younger generations and most generations of today think you know these films aren't relevant, they're not important. You were so wrong. You were so wrong. Unless sit down, you know, I mean, and watch a trip to the moon. It's it's Milieza's most famous film. The imagery you will recognise straight away. There is a narrative there. There is set design. There are characters. It will blow you away if you can just get past the, the frame rate. And the fact that it's not in high definition, mm. although there is a Blu-ray, a, um, an American Blu-ray release of this film uh, that I want to buy, but it's like thirty pounds for an eleven-minute movie. Um, go, just watch these. I mean, the public—they are public domain anyway. I mean, it's not that these films are copyrighted. Go out and explore. If you're if you're a film enthusiast, if you're a historical enthusiast, if you're a sci-fi fan. Go back to the source, like like that film, The Source Code. Yeah. Go back to the source. Go back to the original blueprints of what you consider to be sci-fi movies. If you're an Alien fan, Trip to the Moon has to be next on your watch list. I just want people... I'm not trying to get people hooked on history and hooked on milliers and research. I don't expect people to go out and buy books. Maybe look on the internet. Go to YouTube. YouTube is your friend. And look up A Trip to the Moon. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. If you listen to this podcast, you're a film fan... A Trip to the Moon is a must. Millier is possibly one of the most important filmmakers 
in movie history, which is why he's on our first movie history greats episode. Ben. Boom! <laughs> we do love this guy. I think lesson uh, that might be the end of the lesson. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think we, we had a lot, a lot in there. Like I say, we're not, we're not. We could go in depth and all yeah. this information, but we're just, you know, we're just generally talking about it. You know, we are film enthusiasts, and we, you know, we have a, we have a, a lust. And where, be, where better for these start films. than the birth of cinema? Exactly, Milliers, Georges Milliers. We salute you, sir. <laughs> and obviously, um, the, the, the reason he's, he's quite prominent at the moment. Yeah, is why are we talking about this? Is because of Hugo um, that came out last year. And since uh, since um, um, the, the film came out and it was all about milliers, it's, it's, it's kind of brought about more of an interest, and, and people are starting to look back and try and find out a bit more about him. And, right. And I think that's it's 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 a good thing for for milliers and um, and learning and bringing people to his films, but also it's it's a really good thing for Scorsese to have made this film. Um, it, it did really, really well. Um, I think it's, it's got quite. It's got an amazing red tonight. It's like seven point eight. It's something like that. Yeah, it's pretty good. So it's, it's a bit. So it did really well. Jim Cameron loved it. Um, well, if, well, if Jim Cameron loved it, and then apparently, apparently, I read it that he he, he thought of it. He, he met Scorsese afterwards and said, "This is a masterpiece and the best use of three D that there has been." Including his own films, so if better than Avatar, he believes so, and that was that was from James Cameron. Well, shall I just start off with a brief description of the yeah, movie? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, in uh, 1930, the, the story foretells of an orphan boy living a secret life in the walls of a Paris train station, when Hugo encounters a broken machine, an eccentric girl, and a cold, reserved man who runs the toy shop in the train station, he is caught up in a magical, mysterious adventure that could pull all of his secrets to jeopardy. So that's the that's the basic plot of Hugo. Yes, it's about a boy who lives in a Parisian train station, an orphan boy, who uh, works the clocks and all the, the mechanisms of the train station, essentially keeping it running. And he, but he's got a secret project of his own under a, under a, you know, under a little blanket there in the corner of the room. Where he's diligently working on it. Uh, a, what is it? An, an automaton. Uh, automaton, yeah. Automaton, a, uh, a mechanical man, and we we wonder why then. But that's it. And um, I was reading quite a bit about the automaton um, because I, I, I think we mentioned this either in the last episode or in the pilot that um, all the um, the clockwork parts of it remind me of Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, and, especially the opening sequence. Yeah, and because. Uh, it's obviously something that's a, that's a running theme in Del Toro's films is that the is the uh, clockwork, and that's why I'll, and that kind of translated into this for me. I love the clockwork. Um, there's something about it which is it's it's incredible how things work. And for example, with the automaton, it's actually something that was based on an actual automaton built uh, built in seventy between 1768 and 1774, and they actually right. do that. They actually do exactly what that automaton did. It wasn't. It's not a work, that isn't a work of fiction, that is an actual thing which now, actually exists. Shall we just say, are we going to spoil this film then? Because it's been out now on, it's been released on Blu-ray and DVD. Yeah. So do it you is, think we can talk about it? I think so, I think it's, it's out there for everybody to watch, so, well, you, so I think we can talk about it. Well, spoiler alert for anybody that wants to watch Hugo, but we're going to talk about it extensively. Yes. Now, carry on, Ben. So, so what does this automaton do? What does um, it do? The automaton, and once Hugo is, um, well, I think we need to go back a bit first. Hugo, right. Yeah, Hugo is, um, uh, like I say, he's, he's working on these clocks. He's, um, his, his father's a watchmaker and a clockmaker. That's right. And um, his father is um, Jude Law. 
You've met Jude Law, haven't you, Daniel? <laughs> I have met Jude Law. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell, I'll tell the story. It's, it's a funny story. I met um, I was on a holiday on the Isles of City about five years ago, wandering across across this beach on St Martin's, and um, I noticed this guy walking towards me. He's got um, a couple of a couple of ladies and um, oh, two. <laughs> and and uh, and a couple of kids around him, and I didn't didn't think anything of it apart from what I thought was that guy has a really nice jumper, a lovely jumper. <laughs> he did have a lovely a jumper. stupendous <laughs> jumper. Then and I thought I could I could pull off a jumper like that, and nice. I thought because I thought I have to look for him or something like that. And that then just, I, oh. I'll keep on walking towards him. Then I I look up and I see his face, and I see him staring at me, and I'm like I stare for, I'm like looking for a second, and then he's like and he's like hello. I'm like, wow, like a normal <gasps> person. I'm like, holy shit, it's Jude Law. <laughs> and I realise <laughs> at that point he thinks I'm staring at him because he's Jude Law. Ah, but you didn't. You were staring and at the I jumper. I was staring at the jumper. It's a lovely jumper. And I, so, the, so all I could say was, all right. Nice, nice jumper. <laughs> I walked straight on past and then thought, oh my god, that's Jude Law. And he thinks I'm a bit of an idiot because he thinks I'm staring at him while he's on holiday. <laughs> I'm really not. I'm really so, not. So Jude Law's Hugo's dad. Yeah, so Jude Law is Hugo's dad. And um, Jude Law ends up... Um, Being killed, isn't yeah. he? In a fatal accident, an explosion of some sort. So Hugo goes off with his uh, his Uncle Claude, who's Ray Winston. Yes, he is. Drunken, um, drunken Uncle Claude. Yeah, and he's and he sorts out all... He um, runs all the clocks in the station. And uh, Hugo goes in there and... Learns to, to do some of them, and whilst he's there, he also has, takes this automaton, which is something that him his... and his dad were working on after they found in a house. Yeah. Was, it a, was it an attic or something like that? I mean, it was a broken down yeah. piece of machinery, and obviously, then they were enthusiasts, so they so, took it. Yeah, so they've been trying to trying to make it up as it go along and uh, trying to fix it. Um, Hugo <laughs> um, lives in the walls. Um, he goes down and he finds some of the clockwork in this toy maker's shop. Um, Toyback catches him and he's either going to tell the station master or he's going to put him to work for the help. So, what is it with that toy maker? Why is he so angry at the world? I know, he's, he, and he is a strange being. He's played by Ben Kingsley. We don't know Brilliantly who. played by yeah. Ben Kingsley. I loved this character. And, we Brilliant. and at this point, we don't really know who he is. No. Um, so, we get uh, uh, Hugo helping out and he rebuilds as a clockwork little mouse. and. Um, eventually, builds with this automaton after meeting Isabel, who's Chloe Grace Moretz, another um, brilliant actress. Yeah, she's she's really really good. I know that our friend Jamie loves her. She, he thinks she's really really good. Um, but she's been in Five Day, Five Hundred Days of Summer, which is one of my all time favourite girly films. Oh, is it like a <laughs> romance comedy? Or it's, oh, it's such a good film. If you haven't seen it, it's a good. It's a really really good film. Um, but she's also in Kick-Ass, which is the first time I saw her. Well, no, 500 Days of Summer was the first time I saw her, but I didn't realise it was her. Right. And then it was Let Me In, which I really enjoyed. Good film. Was good. good hammer, hammer uh, yeah. film. So um, he meets her and they end up um, sort of becoming friends and, and sort of. And um, and they, they set out to solve this mystery of the automaton. That's right. And Together. When they, fi when they finally fix this automaton, he draws this beautiful... Watch the mic. <laughs> it draws this beautiful picture, and the picture what? is uh, from uh, a trip to the moon. It's the face on the moon. It's the face of the moon, and uh, signed by and it is by and signed by Georges Mouillet. Yes. And so they they want to obviously find out 
who it is, or well, he, but it turns out that Isabel's grandpa is called um, Grandpa George. Ah. And um, they go on to try and find out. And Here's the toy maker, did we mention that? And yeah, and then it turns out that the toy maker is Georges Millier. A uh, broke, busted down Georges Millier, hiding out in secret, and changing his name. That's right, and a lot of what we talked about is kind of where it goes on from then. It kind of talks about um, his his foray into film, how he got yeah. to where he is. Along he the way, we hear descriptions, don't we, of the history, and we are shown the history of Georges Millier's yeah. career, like each stage, you know. And it's just brilliant. It's just a brilliant look back, isn't it? But it, it that was, but with Hugo. To be completely honest, I didn't. I, I like we tried to stay away from films. I'd not. I'd not seen any trailers for Hugo. I stayed away from it because I thought it would look really good, and I really liked Scorsese. I think. I think he's really, really good. Sonny son, calls him Scorsese because you can't say Scorsese. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but um, I, I, love, <laughs> I, I know he, this. Apparently, this is the first film he did. He's done without Leonardo DiCaprio in however many years. Because he did Shutter Island and Aviator and Departed, Gangs of New York. Really. Um, so it's such a it's such an accomplished director. Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Cape Fear. The list goes on. This guy, he's done everything, everything, and and um, I, I wanted it to be good, so I, I didn't want to watch anything about it. So when I went in and found out that it was about Millier's halfway through, I was. <laughs> um, we talk about being blown away by film. I was completely blown away. Yeah, by as soon that. as I saw the face on the moon drawn, I was like, oh my god, I know what this is going to be about, and I yeah. know who the toy maker is now. And I got that kind of. This is a good film. It's interesting. Oh, I wonder what it's all about. It's okay. It's okay. But you're not. You, you're still buying into it. But as soon as that as that came up, I was sold. Mm. With there's still an hour or so the movie left to go. More than that, and I was. You couldn't tear me away from the film. I no, think. I was the same. I did think up to that point the film was like, oh, okay, this is like a little kids' adventure film. You know, I don't know why Scorsese's made this, and it's like, it's okay. It's a bit. The characters are a bit sort of over the top yeah. and you know the the, act, the young actor that plays Hugo he's, he's a bit hit and miss for my liking but after I saw that picture drawn by the the automaton I uh, I just bought into the film completely and That's uh, it. it's, it's one of those films where you you need to watch the entire thing and then possibly watch it again to pick up on things that you missed before right because uh, <clears throat> you find that then because then when you realize who it, who it is then you can watch it again and you can pick it up and you can understand a bit more why it was like that at the time yeah. what's happening now and I, and like I say as soon as I, as I saw that I was completely sold and I, and I was enthralled by the films from, from then on I couldn't tear myself away from it I loved it and yeah. it was I do love when the children find out his secret and confront him about it and yeah. he sort of breaks down and then he sort of tells the story because Obviously, in real life, Georges Millier's career—you know—he he, the the world moved on from his film techniques and carried on, and obviously became more sort of narrative-based and fictional-based, and and blah, blah blah blah. And the talkies came in and things like this eventually, but uh, he was left in the dust because he didn't move along with the times. And one of his—I think like the trip to the moon was one of his big films that took a long time, a lot of money to make, and it was like I say, eleven-minute-long epic movie in those days. And um, I think he lost the rights. He didn't claim the rights to the film and it was uh, it was taken around you know everywhere and it was like a hugely successful film it made loads and loads of money but he didn't see like a penny of it and basically it's the, the film is fairly close to reality of what happened to George Millet and it's quite an unfortunate ending for him because he did he did end up becoming broke and broken down and running a toy shop and etc etc um, 
But, you know, as the film progresses, we actually find out that people are still clinging on to his films that he didn't uh, end up losing through, you know, the film being destroyed and that there's a fan base there for him and he sort of gets a bit of redemption at the end, which yes. is nice. And, uh, and I just think Ben Kingsley does such an amazing job. Oh, incredible. Yeah. I, I, I really like Ben Kingsley. He's someone who you, you can put in a film role and, and, and with being the thespian that he's in and being Sir Ben. Um, <laughs> Sir Ben. Well, he's candy, so. Well, that's it. He's, he's been a lot, and subsequently, he's been in Schindler's List. Um, yeah. And more recently, he was in Shutter Island, and I really liked him in Shutter Island as well. Mm. I thought I really, with that, another Scorsese film, but really, really enjoyed that film because I like, and. Still need to see that movie, I haven't seen it. Oh, it's, it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> I, tell, I tell you what, I've, I've not watched, to be honest, I'd steered clear of Leonardo DiCaprio for quite a while after things like right. Titanic, and, and because he just was uh, Titanic and Romeo and Juliet, but just because they were. He was this pretty boy, and I'd kind of like. He's a very good-looking man. He is, but I'd stayed away because I just couldn't really. What I didn't really buy into him as an as an actor until I got, then I got back into him with um, uh, Catch Me While You Catch Me If You Can. Um, then there was Inception, and then there was Shutter Island, and then you work your way back, and he was an aviator and departed, and and I found a new respect mm. for for him, and 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 even even more for Scorsese and. But Ben Kingsley did such a good job in this film. Um, he really was amazing in this film. Oh yeah, definitely. He really portrayed a broken man, a man you know angry at the world, that you know what what he's taken from them. And it's really great at the end when you see that you know there's there's um, people uh, you know constructing sort of like I don't know like museums to yeah. him, and uh, he's been recognised by some sort of film sort of board, and he gets like this big audience at the end, and you know he you know he finally gets the recognition he deserves, yeah. which actually did happen in real life. Um, unfortunately, he never saw full credit for his films in terms of his monetary gain. So he actually, uh, I think, I think, I think it's the Parisian Film Board or something uh, funded him to uh, buy to buy him a house actually. So and that's about as far as it went, unfortunately, mm. which is a shame because he's like one of the you know one of the greatest names in, his, in film history, and he, yeah. he died almost penniless, which is unfortunate. But there you go. But well, yeah, but Hugo, if you haven't <laughs> if you haven't seen it. Yeah, and and you want to to watch a, a a really good film and a film about film? Yes, this is the film for you to go and see. I, I really hope that that pe- like I say, people see this film and at the end they go, you know what? We need to find more about Georges Méliès. We yeah. need to understand him more. We need to watch a trip to the moon. So. Because that's it. You you watch this film and you don't, and and if you don't know, if you don't know when you're watching, this guy is is a real person. And yes, it's, and that's the kind of thing to go and find out. And I, and I'm always someone who sat there with. I've either got IMDb open when I'm watching a film, or as soon as it's finished, I'll go on IMDb or Wiki and have a look and find out a bit more about it. And you can, and that that's what is so good about this film is there is it gives you a very brief, uh, but uh, bu- quite a broad overview of, of Millie's in his life. But there is so much more to go and find out, mm. and, it, and it kind of it whets your appetite to find out a bit more about him. And and if you want if you want a good introduction into Millie's life, Hugo is it. What did you think about Sasha Baron Cohen's uh, performance in this film? I thought it was good. I quite, I, I, I liked Sasha Baron Cohen. Again, but before, before the pit, before we find out it's it's a film about Millier's life, mm. you kind of, I was a bit like, mm, yeah. yeah. You kind of get a bit of an a low, a low kind of feel, don't you? Yeah, it's um, a bit OTT. Yeah, and t- until you figure out that these these characters are almost performing themselves, that they they are doing like. Um, it's almost a callback to those kind of over pantomimed themed sort of performances in movies. That's it. There are lots of little stories going off because um, there's um, ones with um, 
Richard Griffiths and Francis Delator, who um, they with the dogs and stuff, and he's of rising to... damp theme. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I kind of like that. I thought that it was it was interesting to have something a bit have other little stories going along, along which harkens back to the the kind of films that um, Elias was doing. He was they were little pantomime kind of little stories, and right. and that's the kind of thing which is going off all the way through. It's just little stories. Mm. For little things happening, and um, yeah, I thought uh, yeah, because I was was take I was initially taken back by the acting sort of mm. style of the entire film, and then I thought no, this makes so much sense now. Yeah. It's 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 a, it's it's a film about Georges Millet because it it, it calls back to the theatre, it calls yeah. back to those old pantomime over exaggeration to yeah. give out a theme or an idea encapsulated in a in each little individual pocket of character. Exactly, and like I say, that's that's why really it's one of these films where if you don't know it's about Millet's. Um, and why why the acting is the first half of the film, the first third of the film can be a bit of a, of a what what is this? What is it trying to be? Is it like I say, it's a Scorsese doing the kids' film. Is that right? But then later mm. on, once you realise what it is, when you go and watch it again, you will watch it and realise why um, Sasha Baron Cohen is 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 so flamboyant and why the different um, little stories that are going off are so overacted in some ways um, mm. because it's. It's almost you could watch you, the idea. I think with these is you could watch them without sound. Yeah. And you would get everything out. I think there. you would. Yeah. So, I think that's right. So I think that that's that seems to be the way that it's gone, and, and that seems to be a it's a really clever way of doing it. And like I say, when you go watch it again, you you, can, you completely get why definitely they are acting the way that they are. I think, like I say, so. you have to give the first half of the film. You have to sort of relax and take a breath, and let it just happen. And then it will all make sense. It will yeah. all come together, and you'll go, "Ah, now I understand the first half of this film. Yeah. Now I understand why those characters were a bit over the top or a bit caricatured." Yeah. It's all purposefully done. This whole film, like you say, Scorsese, he's completely on top of this film, and he knew what he was doing. Yeah. And at first, I didn't think so. Yeah. But then I gave it a chance. And then you realise that he knows more than you know at this point. And about that, yeah, that's... weird that isn't it? He knows yeah. more about filmmaking than and I that, do. It but it's that point where he knows why he's doing this before you even know why he's doing it. And the fact that, and he's so good with that. Cause like I say, with Shutter Island, it's another one where you have no idea what's happening until the end, and then you go and watch it again. Right. And it's one of these without giving anything away. Because I tell you what, Shutter Island, if you haven't seen it, is I one, haven't seen it. Is one you have. <laughs> you, you've just got, you've got to watch, and it's and it's such a clever film, such a clever film. And uh, yeah, I've heard there's some. It's predictable in some places. See, that's what I. I didn't pre- I, I didn't predict any part of it. I watched it and I I didn't know much about Shatrana before I watched it, so I just let it let it roll over me as it was and then and then yeah. you do when when things are happening for you to get, you do get them and some people will say they got things quicker than others, some say some won't, but you, just watch just watch it and enjoy it and you and all your questions will be answered and then watch it again. And then watch it again and then watch it again. It's like Memento. Memento is one of my favourite films for going back to. For Because I showed that to Son. Oh, yes. Yeah. That um, is a film that is just levelled. Levels and levels. Yeah. So much to pick apart. And so many it's, details. It's, because, it's, because, I, like I said, I watched it with Son. Son's not a bit uh, like a... She's more of a chick flick kind of girl. Son's your wife, are we she, mentioned? Oh this? yeah, so, son's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, she's she's more of a chick flick kind of kind of thing. But but at the same point, she's a, like a, a Star Wars, Back to the Future kind of Jaws kind of girl. She loves all the all the oh, old, right, yeah. like the, the proper films. She should, be on, cool she should film. be on the show. She should be. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so yes, yeah, but she loved that film. She just finished reading a book that had a similar kind of premise to Memento, and she went in and loved that film. And 
If if I can nice. get if I can get someone to like that sort of it, just watch it, give it a chance, pay attention. It, it's a film that you in parts you might you almost feel like you have to work for it, but once you get to once you get there, it's worth it's worth it. It's, it's worth, worth the blood, the sweat, and the tears to get there. It's worth the ride. It's a real <laughs> film. A nice. real film. That's a double rating in one there. So. Yeah. Is that it for Hugo? I think so. I think. Uh, and for Emilio's uh, special. Yeah, um, I think. Uh, I don't think it was too painful, was it? No, but I think he'll come back. I think <laughs> I think he'll be someone that will. Uh, oh, I think we'll keep we'll, harking back into. We'll maybe. definitely do a Scorsese episode or a, a sort of director spotlight sometime in the future. That's definitely. I mean, we've got like like we've said on the last couple of episodes, we've got a, a list of ideas. We've got so many ideas. Oh my god, yeah. bursting at the seams! But <laughs> uh, there you go. Thank you for joining us on this voyage. Uh, Thank you. You can dream. So yes, that's uh, that's Hugo. Well and truly covered, I think, there, Ben. Just about, I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. You know these shows take ages and ages to record. <laughs> People out there don't realise. Um, Seamless. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Um, so, everybody, I think it's time we travel once again into the blood bag. The blood bag! Yay! <laughs> So, everybody, welcome to this week's uh, Blood Bag. Welcome. Now, I don't know if you remember, but I did say I would uh, go out there and hunt down the uh, Asylum Film Productions Sherlock Holmes. You did. From uh, 2011, Ben. And did you find it? I did find it. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Good Lord. And, uh, yes, I've, I've, I've managed to track down the movie and, and watch it, indeed. That's what the internet's for, Ben. It's all good stuff. Um, basically, the plot is as follows. Sherlock Holmes and Watson are in London. It's Victorian times and everything's happy and nice. Unfortunately, there seems to be a strange occurrence. You know, several attacks have taken place over the past few weeks of a prostitutes being kidnapped by dinosaurs. Now, (laughs) moving on. (laughs) Where's that? Prostitutes are being attacked and kidnapped by um, dinosaurs. Now, on the front cover of this DVD, you do see a sort of giant octopus creature and a dinosaur. I think it's a pterodactyl, um, you know, attacking the city of London in Victorian times. And this is not what happens in this movie. If you think that's a strange premise, it gets even stranger. Even stranger than that. Even stranger than that. There's there's several attacks on boats coming into the harbour, London Harbour, whatever that, that sort of name is. Is there a Royal London Harbour? Yes. Then we'll his, history yes. lesson. We'll history. Say yes. <laughs> this isn't a historical podcast. Um, <laughs> of, a, of, nothing. <laughs> of a giant tentacled creature, Ben. I know it was that much that there probably wasn't actual giant tentacled creatures in, in Victorian times. Yeah. Well, that's a guess. You know, I could be wrong. It could be. But, um, yeah, so several ship attacks. Uh, what's going on? It seems like the London's in turmoil. There's uh, giant pterodactyls attacking planes out of the skies. It doesn't make any sense. But this, but then, to be fair, it sounds ludicrous. And, you know, but it's shot quite well. Yeah. And the acting is, it's cheesy, but it's done kind of quite well. It is kind of done, you know, obviously, because of the recent Sherlock Holmes movies. Yeah. And... It's not bad looking, really, and the CG effects aren't awful, which is quite surprising. Without the dinosaurs, it could almost be a meh, pretty good kind of like, you know, low-budget affair, Sherlock Holmes affair, but still like a sort of reasonable film. But it gets even stranger, Ben, because it turns out they managed to sort of 
know, corner one of these sort of dinosaurs. Turns out it's a cyborg dinosaur. A cyborg dinosaur. Yes. It was crazy enough that it was a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> and and where they find one of these these dinosaurs, they they break into a warehouse and they have the giant octopus creature that was in the bay uh, strung up on the ceiling, and it's like this, and it's ridiculously big. And for saying it's supposed to be a, a sort of mechanical creature, yeah. there's just no way it could have been built. I mean, you couldn't build one today. I mean, it was as long as a football field. Um, what else? What else? It turns out it's a main plot of a bad guy who's an expert robot builder, bearing in mind we're in the Victorian era. So, you know. And he, the, if you want to know what the character's like, do you remember the film uh, Wild Wild West? Oh, yeah. Featuring, oh, yeah. featuring Will Smith. Now, you remember the main bad guy yeah, in that? Loveless. Love, is it Loveless? Loveless yeah. yeah. He's sort of mechanically minded and he's like a sort of half cyborg. And he, yeah. and he, he parades around in these sort of, uh, you know, mechanical sort of piston driven creatures. Yeah. It's that. It's that exact same premise. The evil, the evil genius mastermind behind this whole sort of affair is, turns out to be Sherlock Holmes's brother who was killed in a war. But head survived and built himself a robotic body. How, how does a head build a body? Just a head on its own. Ben, uh, Barry Holmes, that's the, <laughs> Sherlock's brother, just happens to be able to build his own body using his own teeth and oh, tongue. It's, and, it's fantastically done wow. as well. It's not wow. particular. This is where the film's budget. St- this is near the end. You, you, you know, the, the Sherlock Holmes and Watson have been captured in the warehouse, and that. The, the evil guy's sort of standing in front of them. They're sort of strapped into chairs and he's explaining the whole plot. And this is where the budget gives out because he reveals his body. Look upon my, look upon me. And it's this sort of cyborg piston driven body and just straight out of the wild, wild west. It's like, Oh, good Lord. Um, he has a, a robot lover who's a complete cyborg woman. She's not like, you know, head of a woman and a body of a, she, she's a complete cyborg woman. And, and, Bearing in mind this this man's able to create lifelike, realistic dinosaurs. Why he chose dinosaurs, I've no idea. Why he chose a giant octopus, I've no idea. But the whole plot then comes around that he's built this realistic woman to, who is then a bomb to then go to, you know, down to the, the, the palace to, to blow the queen up at the end. And that's his robot lover. It's also a robot bomb. Yes. It's a cyborg Victorian sex, bomb. A Victorian sex bomb. A bombshell, <laughs> one might say, Ben. Wow. Yeah. And and it plays out, as you might expect, you know, um, <laughs> the brother accidentally seemingly kills Sherlock Holmes at, yeah. the, at the final fight, and then it turns out he didn't really kill him, and he, he sort of, Sherlock Holmes kidnaps a giant balloon aircraft thing that can shoot lasers and, and you know, machine guns and things, and there's a big aerial battle with a pterodactyl. Wow. So it plays out, you know, standard, standard fare, this yeah. film. Um, pretty realistic. There's, <laughs> the thing is, I've, I've cut this quite short because I wanted to keep this quite, we, we talked, we talked a lot about, you know, our, our main subject tonight. Yeah. And, um, there's a lot building up to the moment when they crash, the gate crash the warehouse and discover everything. And everything leading up to that is really slow paced, really kind of, you know, boring, a lot of dialogue, well shot. The, the, it's obviously it's a silent film. It's a low budget affair, and you could be mistaken to thinking you're actually watching a decent television show or something yeah. like a, you know an adaptation or, you know on TV. And that's the shame because I quite like Sherlock Holmes and I, those bits I enjoyed. And although it sounds really funny, 
that there's dinosaurs and pterodactyls and cyborg explosive women. It, it really, it, it's poor. It's poorly executed and it's not as fun <laughs> as you might think. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the people were on who were making this movie. <laughs> Batshit crazy, no, no doubt. But um, it's not as exciting. I, I wouldn't. You'd have to be really drunk with a lot of friends to make this fun, uh, to make this film fun to watch. Yeah. It's a shame. Oh. So there you go. Quick one there. Oh well, well I, I'm gonna. I have. To I will lend you the movie. Yeah, <laughs> I'll stop. I will have to watch this. One. You will be disappointed. <laughs> so that's Sherlock Holmes for the silent films, and that's this week's blood bag. But I will add. Um, that what I was going to mention in what we've been watching at the beginning of the show, um, I went to see Cabin in the Woods, Ben. Oh, Cabin in the Woods. Indeed. So I've seen I've seen the trailer for that, and I thought it looked a lot like Evil Dead. It did. It's um, it's been out for a, a you know a few weeks now, but it if you're a fan of Evil Dead, Friday the Thirteenth, cheesy slasher action uh, horror movies from the eighties, it this is a massive homage to that but with an extra added twist. Okay. So it's it's sort of those movies. It, it, it's Friday the 13th slash Evil Dead crossed between The Truman Show. Okay. And there's really interesting juxt- a juxtaposition between the people watching the carnage happen yeah. and then the actual carnage being, you know, played out. Um, it, it's hard to describe this movie. It's all the stereotypes. It's the jocks go out for a, you know, summer break. They yeah. go out to a cabin and there's a lake and they... They strip down to their underwear and, you know, they, 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 you know, they get high and drink things that I wouldn't know anything about oh, no, no. And, and make love, which again, I wouldn't know anything about. That, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's all cheesy and it's all, you think, oh my God, it's just the same old tripe. Yeah. But the, oh, I, I don't want to spoil it because I think it's still at the cinemas. I'm not sure yeah, it's still it is, at the cinemas, yeah, but you go watch this film because it's all that. But in the film, in the plot of this movie, it justifies why there's a jock, why the jock's a jock, why the people are making love, why there's a the brainy nerd guy who knows about everything and questions everything, why there's like a slut who's, you know, shagging all the guys around and, and you know, because traditionally in, in the slasher films, the slag is the first one or the slut, the whore, is the first one to get it. I like the slag. <laughs> the slag, sorry. I've, I've had a beer now, and uh, <laughs> we're showing our true colours. But traditionally, she is the first one to get to get killed. Yeah, sure. But this film gives you a reason why that might be. Okay. And with an extra added twist, comedy, and you'll never see a film where you see or every monster that you can think of, all the universal monsters, including zombie children, uh, evil maniac hillbillies, giant snakes werewolves, uh, demon flying things, a uh, swamp man uh, running amok. So if, if all that sort of sounds interesting with the Truman twist, so there's like a, the, the, they're being filmed mm. and it's, it's all being, it's all being mask. It's all being sort of masqueraded by these people yeah. for some reason. Ooh. And the reason it is brilliant. Okay. It's actually brilliant. You have sold me on this one. I went to see this with my girlfriend, and I've it's been such a long, long time uh, before I was so entertained by a film going to the cinema. This is a laugh-out-loud film. You will love it. It's a thrill ride. It's a bit scary. It's got the gore. It's got the attacks. It's got the evilness. But then it's juxtaposed. Ju- uh, I can't say the word. Juxtaposed. That word. <laughs> but you, So you'll cut from one horrible gore scene to then 
these people monitoring them and making little funny little quips about what they're watching on the screen. Okay. And it's that kind of a film, and it goes back and forth and back and forth, and it works every single time. It's perfect when they cut back to the monitors. Cool. It's fantastic, and I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Go watch this film. That, that This is a high recommend. I'm sold. Good. <laughs> we'll go see this. Go see Cabin in the Woods. It's a brilliant film. But they're just two quick ones for the Blood Bag this week. Cool. Well, Ben... I think that's about it for episode two, right? Episode two, Panda Scan Podcast. Fantastic, we're on a roll. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems to take a while though. I don't know. I just keep getting this feeling. Are we being monitored right now, Ben? Maybe. Who knows? Some Truman Show. So, Ben, if anybody wants to help the show out yeah. and contact the show, how would they do that? Facebook, Panda Scan Podcast. They would, yeah. Facebook. Um, we have email. We do have email. Panda Scan Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, that's like um, digital letters yeah. through through the ether of the internet. Yeah, you don't have to put a stamp on anything. No, 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 it just so. comes straight. It's quick and easy, so if you can, you could drop us a line. It's it's as easy as clicking a button, Ben. It is. But you can also help the show out by, uh, if you listen to this on iTunes and you download it by iTunes, subscribe and please give us a five-star rating because the five-star ratings really help the show. They give us notoriety and, it, you know, the further we go up the lists with the more sort of five-star ratings, the sort yeah. of easier we are to pick up. That's so right. it we really wanna, helps the show. That's it. We want to get out there. We want to want to share the love. We want to share the love with as many people as possible. Now, Ben, I think we should just you know turn the record button off and go watch an old black and white movie. Okay, doke. You can hand crank. Yay! Yay! So until next week, guys. It's goodbye from me, John. And goodbye from me, Ben, 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 Ben. And that's Ben's excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that was. <laughs> We've had a drink. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.